Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. Joined, as always, by assistant editor Andrew Keats. Hello, Andy. Scott, what's up, Bob? Just here, chilling, no problems. Everything's great. I'm joined also, as always, by Sarah Libby, managing editor. Hello, Sarah. Hello. The three amigos are back. (laughs) (laughs) We're here. I am sorry you guys had to go to a week without us. I know there was pain, uh, as my son would say. uh, People filled their homes with rivers of tears. Um, I hope you're okay. <laughs> hope, I hope your son that? is okay. About what? <laughs> My son says yeah. that all the time about things that he's he's going to be sad about if mm. it happens, that he'll fill the the house with tears. Wow, that's poetic. Uh, <laughs> Evocative. <laughs> Coming up on the show today, this is our last podcast of the Faulkner era. After this week, Mayor Kevin Faulkner will leave the mayor's office in the city of San Diego, and Todd Gloria will enter it. So we're going to review Faulkner's time in office, offer reflections and thoughts on the last seven years, and we'll talk about the Republican Party. He was ostensibly the most powerful person within it in the San Diego region. What happens to it? But first, uh, our year-end fundraising drive has begun. Before we get to our postmortem of the Faulkner administration, we have to mention Voice of San Diego is in our annual year-end fundraiser. This is the most important time of the year for us as a news organization as far as surviving. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, there's other times when we do important work, but this is the time where we usually bring in uh, over this like five, six-week period about a third or, or more of our budget. So kind of has to go well. <laughs> Uh, we are a nonprofit, which means we can only keep going if people, um, you know, appreciate what we do and then contribute money. So if you like what we do, it means something to you. Now's the time to donate. When folks donate, they can write us little notes. We always uh, get a little boost out of those notes. Uh, we might read yours. Here are a few that mentioned the podcast. There was John Wilson. He said, I love the podcast and the Twitter content. Thank you, John. Jose Cervantes said, I appreciate Voice of San Diego's local coverage. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you, Jose. Uh, Kim, I listen to the podcast every week. Local journalism uh, matters, and you all kill it. Uh, Ian, the podcast makes my week. Look, that, that, thank you. It's a dark hey, time. Thanks, guys. That, that's pretty yeah. awesome. Ian Crano, thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a nice winter. The sun's out in San Diego. Can't complain about the weather, but it is dark in, in the society. And to get notes like that really matter. We have a special thing happening for the podcast listeners. If you give now during this week, this pod, the week this podcast airs, your donation will be matched. You can do that at vosd.org slash podcast 2020. That's vosd.org slash podcast 2020. We have a lot of uh, major donors who have stepped up to match your support. That link is to show support for this show specifically. So if you like Sarah and Andy. You don't feel like you have to like us both. Yeah, exactly. Just one of us is fine. <laughs> one of the three of us yeah. is fine. If you like us uh, and what we do on the podcast every week, head to that link. Thank you so much for your uh, support. 
All right, we have some breaking news just now. We watched the press. Uh, this is breaking news because it's broken you. Yeah, it it's, has exactly. it literally broke <laughs> breaking news. It has broken me. We got another stay at home order that outlines all the ways we could not stay at home if we don't want to. The governor even encouraged us to not stay at home in this stay at home order. Outdoors, we encourage you. We encourage you to take your dog for a walk. We want you uh, to exercise and go on a run with a partner within your household. Uh, go sledding uh, these outdoor activities in the winter, to the extent uh, a walk on the beach or out in our state parks or your local parks is appropriate. We encourage that. Take a bike ride, go fishing. Uh, those uh, that are learning yeah. to meditate more so and more. Stay at home. We encourage go outside. Do you ever think about like all do you ever just feel guilty in general about all the things that have, have filled your head that are fundamentally useless information? And you just think about all the more productive things you could have done with the time that you memorize those things. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have a, a real real sore spot for all the mental bandwidth I've put to understanding the <laughs> hundreds of classification systems about what can and can't be done during this pandemic. Yeah. That's I mean, granted, I spend a lot of time memorizing Grateful Dead set lists from the 70s, but this <laughs> feels less useful than that. Especially just because, like, it makes total sense that everything would change as we come to know more about the disease and how it works. Like, I don't begrudge anyone shutting down parks at the beginning of the pandemic, even though we know that it doesn't really spread outdoors because we didn't know that then. But now we do know that, <laughs> and it seems yeah. like these changes aren't conforming to like the new information as we get it, and that I think is what is so frustrating is like we know it doesn't spread outdoors, but playgrounds are part of the closures for some reason. Yeah, so there was one just juxtaposition that just really got me. The governor in his list of things he wanted us to do on his slide said, go skiing, go snowboarding. So apparently ski resorts and you know such can stay open, but they closed playgrounds. Closed playgrounds. Remember when they, they opened them, Sarah, you were pointing out, they had a reason for opening them. They're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they literally said, like, yeah, they're, the reason they've been closed this long is because we just forgot or we didn't really realize that they were still closed. And so it was, like, completely by accident that they had remained closed as long as they had. And now we're getting the complete opposite of that, which is, like, a deliberate decision to shut them down in face of all the evidence we have and of no known, you know, exposures or outbreaks that have come from playgrounds. Yeah, before you could chalk it up to like the fact that they were in their own bubble of experience, they obviously weren't going to playgrounds and hadn't thought to like open them. That, okay, that's one level of offensiveness. But now somebody literally sat there and said, one of the things we gotta do is shut down playgrounds again, but we gotta keep ski resorts going. I mean, and, and it seems fine for ski resorts to be going. I mean, I, I I'm not a I'm not really a skier, but I, my understanding is that there are times when you're hundreds of yards from the next closest person, right? 
Well, it's, it seems you do like have a to fucking go to place the bathroom, to be. But yes, you do have. To, yeah, right. But I just don't understand why playgrounds would have to be closed. It just doesn't feel especially evidence based. Essentially, so, uh, unless just, somebody can point me to a, an outbreak or even cases tied to a playground. So just so you can uh, get your news, you can use here indoor, outdoor playgrounds, indoor recreational facilities, hair salons, barbershops, museums, zoos, aquariums, bars, brewers, distilleries, all closed. Uh, but you can do things outside outdoor recreational facilities. Retail can operate 20% indoors. Shopping centers, 20% indoors. Hotels only for critical lodging, which I'm sure they're going to follow very closely <laughs> without any, any flexibility. Restaurants, yeah. just take out. Offices, uh, unless you're essential. Places of worship, only outdoors. Uh, you can still play sports outside with testing. Uh, okay, here we go. Now, this would be really, this would be so much harder if there wasn't the promise of a vaccine around the corner. I mean, if this, if we were just settling in for another like long period with this, uh, this would be dark. This would be like real dark. Yeah. Now, even cutting against that though is is that the you know, seemingly capricious and arbitrary uh, rulemaking around this doesn't fill me with confidence about vaccine delivery, which yeah. is going to be a very resource intensive and, and, you know, practical, uh, set of requirements. And I just, it's doesn't fill me with confidence. Well, one of the reactions I'll be interested in watching is, uh, from, uh, mayor Kevin Faulkner, San Diego's mayor has really been speaking out. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago about how much he's been trying to bash the, the governor, set himself up, give himself an opening to keep uh, considering a run for mayor. Uh, I'm sorry, run for governor. Uh, and he's very excited about uh, about slamming the governor. Will he, you know, come out swinging on this stuff? Probably. So uh, this is the last podcast of the mayor, Kevin Faulkner era. He got elected 2014 after Bob Filner flamed out as uh, the only Democratic mayor in in 20 years in the city of San Diego. And what do we think? I mean, let's think about his his tenure. In my head, there's kind of two... There's two phases of the Kevin Faulkner tenure as mayor. There's the first phase, which was just... Regular old San Diego mayor, <laughs> you know the the finances were better, so he didn't have really tough decisions, and he wanted to pursue some of the the stadiums and convention centers and such that mayors have wanted to do in the past. Had a work program, and then there's the hepatitis A crisis where homeless people stopped started dying in the streets, and he got all fired up to do something about homelessness. Uh, the now the thing that he's going to try to parlay into a governor run. What do you think we'll remember from this mayor? I think that it, it pains me to say this because it, it just is it really reflects poorly on our on our, us as a big city. But I do think that the Chargers experience will loom large over what happened during this, you know, seven year period basically. Um, it dominated conversation in the early days of his term. Uh, it 
is the you know one of the few things that captures the attention of people outside of the political class uh and it you know it does have uh like a lasting resonance that San Diego used to have a pro football team and now it doesn't there was a period at which that change officially happened and as exhausted as we all were with it by the end um you know that it it does represent a, a civic loss of sorts to to a lot of people who live here so i, I think that drama will be the the defining feature of the the Faulkner era. One thing I've been thinking about a lot is obviously um Kevin Faulkner was really eager like a lot of people to seize on this um Gavin Newsom French laundry dinner because mm-hmm. the optics are so terrible, right? It's like one of the most expensive restaurants in the country. You're telling people to stay home, just a big optics disaster and I think Kevin Faulkner was like uniquely positioned to recognize that because his mayorship has been so, so focused on optics. And if you think back, you know, several years ago now, we had the whole scandal with the homeless rocks where they placed rocks mm-hmm. in the overpass. Um, and it came, and you know, his office and city officials told people that. The residents in that area had requested it, and we were respecting their wishes, and we were doing this at the request of the residents. And then emails showed that actually it was to deter homelessness for the TV crowds um, for the All-Star game. And it was completely an optics move, and it, and it was just for visuals. And you know, even just in the last couple months, we had the CEO of Family Health Centers say that this whole... Um, skydiving center turn navigation center was really just a, a PR effort um, to make it look like they were doing this big thing to alleviate homelessness. And really, sh- in her view, it, w- it was just about optics. And so I think mm-hmm. that there have been several big incidents that have de- kind of defined his mayorship in which he wasn't necessarily concerned about the underlying issues. He was concerned about how his response would look and be perceived. And I think that type of leadership has really characterized his tenure. Yeah, not just concerned, but like terrified. Like Like paralyzed. Yeah, he was very concerned. I've used this um, uh, analogy before. You know how when you're merging onto a freeway or when you're driving on a freeway and somebody's coming on, like if they're going really slow... It's actually more of a problem than if they were going at the speed of the traffic or faster because it's you don't know how to deal with that situation. Do you race past them or whatever? That's, to me, uh, uh, the, the metaphor for Kevin Faulkner's leadership. He was so cautious that it was actually more dangerous for him. It caused more problems, more scandals for him, more of the, of the drama for him because of his caution was just so extreme. Like the... You know, I I think there's a few examples of this, but he himself recognized this during the hepatitis A crisis. So homelessness got so bad that there was a virus that started, uh, you know, festering in the community, killing people in the streets. It finally got to the point where we broke this story open about what is happening? Why is nothing changing with this? And then all of a sudden life changes at that. We, we He came on our podcast and kind of uh, gave a glimpse of what was what he was thinking and how 
he had been paralyzed by, along with other elected officials, by the concern about what people thought. I also said that the, the elected officials, including myself, had searched too long for universal consensus, which does not exist. It yeah. is time for action and results. But this, this defined his entire approach to everything. Like you said, Andy, he'll be remembered as the mayor who lost the charters. Now, the charters were very clearly like trying to leave in in many cases, but there was there was ways. It does it? Yeah, it feels it feels it's like uh, it's coincidence that 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 they happened to leave during the time he was here. It, but it, it it was it was not about him. But there was never once. Yeah, exactly. There was never once during that period where he he stood up and said what he thought was really going on according to his like advisors, right? Like or what they were doing to the situation. In fact, he over and over and over again gave in to their framing of the situation to the point where he actually endorsed what everybody realized was a, uh, a doomed measure to raise hotel room taxes and build a gigantic domed stadium slash convention center convadium downtown where he's the only person who uh endorsed that effort knowing it was going to fail but just because he didn't want to be the guy blamed for it when in fact anybody who cared did blame him for it or didn't think it mattered you know it was just like it it and that, that constant uh sort of paranoia about how things would be seen just coursed through his mayorship yeah, I think that's true, and I think that the net result is that there isn't really uh, a a a project or a policy or a set of policies that stand out as like a, a true legacy for for him. Um, and I think also on the in the day to day basis, to to combine some of what you all are saying is there we don't really have political machines in San Diego, but there is a set way of doing things in city hall and in the groups and lobbyist types that surround and city hall that is very good at treating nothing like something that is really good at highlighting the typical day-to-day business of city hall and making it the news story of that day. Uh, and like a promotion machine that creates like a, 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 a moment out of it that creates a news event out of something that isn't one. And they relied on that so significantly. And, and, and Mayor Sanders before him relied on that machine as well. Um, and it, it, but, but the thing is it works on a day-to-day basis, but it is still ultimately nothing. It, it, you, you, the fact that you've created a system to make it appear to give the sense of action it doesn't change that it isn't action. And seven years later, it doesn't give you anything more to show for your time. Like the joke at the national level is that it's always infrastructure week, right? But yeah, yeah. I have literally received 20,000 press releases about paving roads, which is a very basic core city function. <laughs> and like, if I had to point to a signature Kevin Faulkner accomplishment, I'd, ha- you know, if there was a gun to my head, I'd be like, like he paved those roads, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, there, that's not going to stop him from crafting uh, the legacy that they want to promote. And that's basically um, from what I can tell, sort of two things. One is uh, he's going to really tout uh, what he says was a 
um, reduction in street homelessness. We're doing some work that's going to come out next week about the actual uh, situation with homelessness and, and what he and the city were able to accomplish and what they shouldn't necessarily take credit for or um, you know what the actual situation is. For instance, there might be fewer people on the streets, but that doesn't mean they're not, they're, they're not homeless, that sort of thing. There's a lot going on. And how they were measured was changed. So there's a lot of, of context to keep in mind with that. But he is going to talk about lowering the number of people on the street. And then the, I think the second thing he's going to really promote is, you know, this sort of... I, I want to just say, though, also, I think it's great to measure people from a, a, a sensible baseline and to acknowledge accomplishment that doesn't solve the problem. But also the biggest problem facing San Diego right now is still homelessness. Yes. So uh, there's like, you know, you could get a, a, we could tout, we could provide, you know, marginal accomplishment on uh, doing a, doing a bit better than some pure cities in lowering the the level of street homelessness. And that's only if you take them at their word. Yes, and and but street homelessness is still exceedingly bad and much much worse than it was, you know, seven years ago, or you know, or ten years ago, you know. Yeah, and and um, I think that's the the big thing. So, and he only admittedly was super fired up about it after what twenty eighteen. So it was like a in that twenty eighteen period when he's like, okay, we're gonna focus on this and we're gonna try to make. And so he's trying to craft that into, a, you know, this kind of Faulkner doctrine, you know, of like what we do is we get shelters up in the best, simplest way possible, convention center, tents, whatever, and then we try to force or compel people into them. And he's going to try to sell that across the state, I think, as, you know, the way to do it, uh, even with increasing the punitive abilities of police officers in cities. But I think there's going to be people in San Diego who just still will never forgive him for the years that he spent not urgently acting on it. And I also, you know, am interested to see how they package and sell this effort that does involve, you know, a degree of criminalization of homelessness and policing of homelessness in a way that I think will but up against the reckoning with policing that we're going through in an uncomfortable way. And so to see how they explain that will be interesting. Yeah. Well, so what's happening? I don't know. I, you know, he's he's talking about running. He keeps giving interviews when anybody wants to ask him about whether he's going to run. He's, you know, going to try to say he's anti-tax. The governor Newsom wanted to raise the property tax. Now he's got some tax raising credentials of his own. He tried to raise the hotel room tax. He's proud of that. Uh, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of uh, landmines, I think, especially if he runs against a well-resourced Republican uh, trying to also take uh, uh, Gavin Newsom on in the general election. And, you know, um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he crafts uh, that legacy narrative and just how he handles these last couple of days uh, with a potential lockdown in San Diego. And then we're going to start talking about Mayor Todd Gloria. Whew. A lot of the same folks from Kevin Faulkner's staff sticking around in Mayor Todd Gloria's office as well. So uh, could be a lot more of the same.
Kevin Faulkner, for the last six years, has arguably been the most important elected Republican in the region, right? He's been the mayor of San Diego, a large city. He's the only mayor of a large city in America who's a Republican, um, you know, at that level. He's, uh, and so he's gotten a lot of attention for that. Like maybe he figured out the secret sauce for being a Republican and being in charge of a major city. He has never had to do that as a, um, a general election candidate. He's only been elected as a special election when it was open. So, you know, that's going to be something he's going to have to reckon with running statewide. So in that six years or whatever, seven years since he's been mayor, the Republican Party in the county of San Diego has disappeared. I mean, it's been eviscerated. There is now one Republican on the San Diego City Council, Councilman Chris Kate. The, uh, the Board of Supervisors now have a majority Democrat. We talked about this a lot. Democrats, uh, we have, there is every major metric you could use to describe, you know, Republican success or not in San Diego has them losing badly. It's just not, and this is so weird for somebody like me that came in. The Republican Party was very strong in San Diego uh, 15 years ago. It was a very strong apparatus and infrastructure of professionals, consultants, uh, operatives, many of whom have moved away. Uh, There's just fewer career jobs for people like that now. I mean, it's just a much, it's just a depleted infrastructure. And so the question is, what happens now? Tony Kravark, the chairman of the Republican Party, is stepping away, and he's obsessed with this um, uh, President Trump's uh, grievance that he he he's been robbed of this election and and that needs to change so has so has it obsessed the ostensible successor to Tony Vivarek, Paula Witzel who he nominated or said should take over the local party from him she refused to talk to me about the future of the party several other people though did said it's time to move on it's time to rebrand re uh, message the Republican party Chris Kate said we hope uh uh, to move on, this election's over. Let's uh, let's try to regroup. Uh, Paula Witzel again wouldn't talk to me. June Cutter, uh, uh, who ran for assembly, said she'd be willing to take a a larger leadership role. Same thing, like uh, the election's over. Let's rebrand some of our policies. Joe Leventhal had a really interesting column in the UTs. Like, look, we're supposed to be constitutional conservatives. We should be the first ones when there's a, a person killed by police who says, "Why, you know, why wasn't there due process? What should be done uh, to to uh, understand and investigate this?" You know, they're trying to think about how to rebrand, re, uh, re change their appeal to certain groups. But there's they got to decide which path to go on. Is it this grievance Trump world? Or is it this sort of rebrand for the for the local San Diego world? And I'm not sure which way they're going to go. Well, I don't. It's not clear to me that there's like any constituency for the rebrand. Yeah, the, like there is a, a a large mi- minority of people that are happy to join the grievance brigade, but I don't know what what you hope to gain electorally if you go in that route. The other route, it's easier to imagine some future where you like, you know, you have elected officials that represent the, that set of views and and could could, you know, ostensibly compete or something. But I don't who who is the base? Who's clamoring for that? Who and who's clamoring for that that isn't already happily represented by 
you know, just kind of being a a, a business friendly Democrat, mm-hmm. and 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 sort of that's where I I just don't understand where they're going or or how they've been able to ignore this for the last few years. Except, and this is something that you hear a lot with this conversation, is that is to sort of give them the excuse that there's no real rebranding as long as there's a president at the top of the ticket that's that's the antithesis of whatever the rebit brand you're trying to make happen is there's no way you can you can frame the San Diego County Republican Party as something distinct and different from Donald Trump as long as he's the president of the United States yeah i think you know chris kate told you scott that he's almost looking forward to a president biden in a way because of that contrast that it offers um between Republicans and Democrats. And you've seen sort of the same thing happening with the way Faulkner is attacking Gavin Newsom is like, it's it's nice to be able to present yourself as a contrast and to be kind of on the attack against the person in charge. They just don't want it to be Trump who's in charge. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that that's, that's what's really interesting here, Andy, is is, is it Trump or is it yeah. some kind of Trumpism and does that survive? Uh, Tony Kravark in one of his tweets said, thank you basically to President Trump for uh, reimagining the party as this nationalist, America first thing. Um, and, and that MAGA world will continue, will define the party. And if so, you know, as, as I think what Tony Kravark did, you know, he was pretty amb- ambivalent about Trump and, and then became an in- intense um, acolyte. And I and I think that part of what he was responding to was that grassroots. They're into it. They are into this Republican Party. And and one of the pieces of feedback I got from my column was like, that is exactly the debate. You've defined it perfectly, except that you don't quite understand how much the one side is going to lose. And the one side that's going to lose is not the uh, the the MAGA nationalist trump side they're they are the ones with the with the numbers even if they're not a majority in these electoral districts and and so you know it's hard to picture how the party can rebuild itself as an alternative in san diego if as you say the business conservatives can go to a business conservative democrat instead i think there's also the extent to which this is a bit bewildering as something that happened overnight, but it didn't actually happen overnight. In, instead, you know, I think there's uh, an alternate w- version of San Diego where Bob Filner won in 2012, Dave Roberts won the county supervisor in 2012, and then there's this steady progression of Democrats taking things over. A, a couple council seats in uh, in in a you know. Uh, in an off-year election, an additional supervisor seat in an off-year election, and 2020 was the culmination of that steady march of progress, where instead what happened was Filner won, and Filner was a disaster, and Faulkner got in into in unique circumstances, but then he was an incumbent. And there were uh, the, the electoral process that allowed people to win in June provide in another set of special circumstances that prevented the 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 seats from changing hands in this orderly way. And so you had this like six year reprieve where the changes that were happening weren't being reflected in representation quite yet. And now it 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 hits 
all at once. But really, it didn't, you know, those were those are transient circumstances that were keeping it from being this way for the last six years. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, if Filner hadn't been such a disaster, it it would <laughs> it there would be no Mayor Kevin Faulkner, and there would no. be none of this. And and yet, you know, he, he it's almost like like I described earlier the 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 newspaper industry was falling apart at the beginning of the century, but the housing boom kept it going for several years as a, as kind of masked some of the fundamental economic problems. Same thing here, like the fundamental problem with the party was was already apparent in San Diego. But, you know, I mean, I guess that brings up the last question is just is there is there a need for a party to handle that sort of alternative? We need an alternative that, that questions um, you know, fiscal priorities that, you know, that can like challenge public employee unions or whatever you want to describe that that you know can like articulate a different version hold the government accountable and it is that is do we need a party to do that or can that be contained within the democratic party i guess we'll find out <laughs> i i think like the you know the political science would suggest that like coalitions are sort of self-creating that that there will be a natural grouping of people that will sort themselves in certain ways you you don't you won't get true uh you know singular rule um now how exactly those people sort themselves is 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 kind of up in the air i think for a long time people have talked about the idea of it being like this neat and orderly thing where it'll be like chamber of commerce democrats versus labor democrats where it, it could be some completely different mechanism that defines people that it, it could be you know uh populist you know groups that that oppose transit and housing versus pro development forces or you know some you know something else in between no one predicted that the future of the republican party was uh white nationalism um but that and then but then that's what happened in 2016 so it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't guess how uh, the the you know coalitions will 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 organize themselves in San Diego, but I do think that there will be some sort of sort of healthy uh, give and tug about uh, about policy. I'm just not exactly sure on what grounds those will sort. Okay, there was a sort of classic coda to Mayor Kevin Faulkner's tenure here as uh, mayor of San Diego, and it cl- and of course came in the form of football, and it had to do with the San Francisco 49ers. So the San Francisco 49ers, of course, do not play in San Francisco, do not operate in San Francisco. They operate in Santa Clara County, and in Santa Clara County, officials decided that people should not play sports as they impose more restrictions uh, to control the coronavirus spread. And when that happened, the San Francisco 49ers realized they couldn't operate in that county and so needed to figure out what to do. And then there was a sort of bunch of stories and reporting. The USA Today, for example, reported that one of the places that the 49ers were considering, according to a source, 
was San Diego, the former home, home of the Chargers. And then there was a lot of buzz about San Diego. And then Jed York, the CEO of the 49ers, tweeted, we're going to go to Arizona, but just, you know, just a big thank you to San Diego and the mayor's office in San Diego for reaching out immediately to us to help us find a home and see what we could do. And so all of us were like, what is happening here? Because the stadium where the Chargers played is being demolished. Like they're, they're, there's like excavators inside of it taking down the structure. It's, it's surrounded by rubble in exactly the way you would draw a stadium if you wanted to suggest that it was being demolished. Yeah. <laughs> and and so we're like, well, did the mayor not know this? Did the mayor forget that he sold the stadium to a different entity, the San Diego State University? With a, a local university whose football team does not even presently yeah, they play couldn't even in figure this out county. How to play <laughs> in San Diego. And so, yeah, the 49ers are going to come here. So <laughs> so everybody's kind of confused. Then the mayor's office, the, one of the reporters tweets that the mayor's office denied Jed, Jed York's tweet and said, none of that is accurate. And so everybody's like, what is happening? This Did Jed York just fabricate, come up with this on his own? What we none of us factored was that there's a man who's the general general manager of the San Francisco 49ers whose name is John Lynch, famous football player who became the general manager successfully of the 49ers. And he has a father. John Lynch grew up in San Diego. He has a father in San Diego also named John Lynch. John Lynch Sr., turns out. Well, John Lynch Sr. is this guy. He's the, all they needed to do to explain this was just, oh, this is just John Lynch Sr. <laughs> and I would have been the, like, they, I saw his name and I just like shut my phone. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's this, what happened. <laughs> this went from illogical to perfectly logical, it, just like that. Now I know exactly what happened. And I'm mad at myself for not putting this together. Yeah. Sarah, what am I for if not to figure this one out? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I just feel like between there being a stadium debacle, however improbably, um, combined with the Pete Wilson statue returning, it was just like yes. San Diego was going real San Diego this week. Yeah. It was like bringing it the be, San Diego. It wouldn't yeah. be it's a like drama. San Diego spring break. <laughs> like, yeah. We're... So finally, the mayor's office, the chief operating officer of the city of San Diego, uh, texts me the whole situation. He said, John Lynch Sr. contacted the mayor asking if there was a place the 49ers could use for practice in San Diego, like the old Chargers practice facility. Well, that location, of course, is not available because it's now part of the police facilities, which I didn't know that. There you go. Fascinating. Uh, I knew that. The well, of no course you did. You're very good yeah. at land use and, and real estate <laughs> assets within the city of San Diego. The mayor Thank said you. that if they had any other option, go ahead, give me a call. That's it. That's all he said to John Lynch Sr. Of course, John Lynch Sr. parlayed that into a USA Today story at, from a source familiar with it. And imagine the poor USA Today reporter. Yeah. Everything you know about that situation, the father of the 49ers yeah. uh, GM who 
is is a wealthyish person in San Diego who does have connections with the mayor's office who did used to run the San Diego Union Tribune. Of course that seems like a, a like a you know a reasonable source. <laughs> yeah. The- no. Just didn't know that he's a crazy person. <laughs> this isn't the point, but so was the mayor's brush off that if you guys in San Francisco think yeah. <laughs> of a different place in San Diego yeah. that you want to explore, let us know. <laughs> like as yeah. if they're supposed to be like opening up Google Maps and like searching for yeah. vacant I... San Diego buildings and the mayor's office couldn't yeah. just like tell them. Yeah, like the mayor's office, he doesn't have it. Again, this is the, this is, he's just trying to politely deal right. with it, but it's also the same, it's the same classic Faulkner, right? He's like not willing to say, like, no, this, that there's literally nobody can play football here anymore except for University of San Diego, maybe. Like they have, yeah, but if but you no, guys like no, want an empty skydiving building and you yeah, are curious yeah. about it, if, then give us a but call. I, but I'm happy to talk to the 49ers if you need me to, John. I'm I'm here. And then for John Lynch to, again, to parlay that into it, I just love that. It, it's, it is a classic San Diego. NFL dysfunction had to have a San Diego cam, cameo. Just wonderful uh, situation there. Again, if you listen to us each week, and if you value what we're doing here at Voice of San Diego, please consider making a donation. You get access to a lot of cool events when, whenever we do those again. No, there's online versions now. Uh, as a member, you can join today at vosd.org slash podcast 2020. That's vosd.org slash podcast 2020. Use that link, and we'll know that you care about the podcast. That'll help us justify to all the powers that be that we're spending time on the podcast uh, show your support for the show, vosd.org slash podcast2020. Again, even if it's only uh, $35 or whatever, that really helps uh, make the case to bigger donors and others that are sponsors that we got a big group of people who love what we're doing, and um, they should support that and get the word out as well. Uh, again, vosd.org slash podcast2020. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego, uh, recorded by somebody who likes to take pictures of Ocean Beach Pier. You can get the newsletter for this podcast at vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and editor-in-chief, Sarah Libby's managing editor, Andrew Keats is assistant editor, and this show is produced by Nate John. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.